0: Hey, if you're new to Element, welcome. Uh... <laughs> There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. On all the communion tables, there are these booklets. These are our sermon notes for actually this week and the next two after it, because that's after this uh, series ends. And in this, you will get short little daily devotions. You'll get family questions, gospel community questions to go deeper into what we're talking about throughout this series called Didn't See That Coming. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More, and then Events and YouVersion will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and at Four Sermon Notes, you will essentially, on your smartphone, get the verses that we go through. Uh, you will get some announcements, you'll get the gospel statement, but that's about it. So we do recommend you grab the booklet. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is 1 Peter 2.9, and it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us to be a people who live in the light that you have provided. And that we would go out and shine that light forward because of the good news of what you have done. And that we would understand your grace and your goodness first given to us. And we would then begin to live that out in ways that make a tangible difference in the world that we live in today. We thank you for your goodness to us. Teach us again to live out that goodness. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so we are doing this series called Didn't See That Coming. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's This is week 14. Got two more after this, and then we're done with the series. After that, we're going to start a series throughout the summer on the book of Proverbs. We're going to call it Counterculture. It'll be kind of interesting. And so we figured this year we kind of started in a new-to-us building, so we wanted to do this series to refocus all of us back on what the gospel of Jesus Christ actually is. So each week we've been giving you these gospel statements. We've been giving you those short daily devotions, like I said. We've been giving you Family questions and gospel community questions, all to get our minds wrapped around what we're talking about. And because I don't want to put anybody on the spot, people in my GC hate this when we're like, what's the gospel? And they're like, ah, don't do this to me right now. All right. So I wouldn't do it to you in front of a church. So I'm going to be really nice and I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of the history changing event that God has stepped into time to rescue and redeem lost and broken people. You've seen God do this in multiple ways throughout the Old Testament, but it all comes to fruition in the person of Jesus. God has brought and he has offered us salvation with him because throughout the course of our lives we run away from him. We break relationship with God and others. The scriptures call this sin, but God has come to take care of that sin problem and remove what separates us from him and us from one another to bring us back in relationship again. God takes care of that sin problem with the death and the resurrection of Jesus and everything now can be new again because of God's offered hand of hope. And so what we have been doing is we detailed the story of the Bible over the last 12 weeks. The last two weeks, specifically, we have dealt with the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. And so what do we do now, right? So we've got here, death, resurrection, is it over? Is there no more gospel? It's like the culmination, everything's done. No, it's the ongoing good news of the gospel, of what God is doing in our lives. Out of our understanding of what he did, how do we then live? And so last week we talked about Easter. And if you believe in Easter, you believe in a physical resurrection. And that means the gospel is not just some good news for some day, somewhere over the rainbow. It's it's not a spiritual netherworld about after we die. Resurrection means that it starts now today, where our hearts and our souls and the spirits be made alive again. We can be in relationship with God and one another, and that goes on into eternity. And what you see when the scriptures, when it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, it doesn't necessarily mean brand new, where this is like just blown up. In the Jewish mindset, that's redeemed, restored, renewed. God takes it back to what he meant for it to be because God loves his creation. This is why we as a people become redeemed, renewed, restored. It's what God is doing. And that means, just like Jesus rose physically from the dead, we get new bodies. We will have a body and we will have eat and drink, we'll be able to love and dance and hug one another. Maybe different than it is now, but we get all of those things. Uh, I was talking to somebody last week. And they were like, why is the universe so big if it's just the earth? And in my mindset, I don't think that heaven is all of us sitting around in a big old room singing songs all day. That sounds really boring if you ask me. I think that we have this entire universe that God has created. And we will spend eternity plumbing the depths of the creativeness of our great God who loves us. That he has made all of this. And all the things that scientists are like, what does that even mean? I don't get it. We're going to be like there. And we're going to see it. And we're going to experience it. And it's going to be Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And I think that if we can live with that hope that Jesus promises, we can begin to start to live without regrets today. We can leave behind those regrets and live facing forward into God's eternal call. Too many people today live these crazy, frantic lives where they got a bucket list and I got to do my bucket list. Or you hit 40, 50, 60, 70, you start to spend all your money like crazy because you're afraid you're going to miss out on something. That is how advertisements are marketed to people today. Don't miss out on this great family. Buy ancestry DNA or, or 23andMe. I'm a sucker. I fell for it. I did it. I know where I came from. I am the whitest person I know, and I'm not happy about it, okay? But, 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 uh, but I did it. Or you have things like, oh, you want the best sex ever? Buy this pill, read this book, watch this movie. We'll t-. Don't miss out on once-in-a-lifetime destinations for vacations. You have to go there and do the pictures and see all the destinations and the sites. And we see all these experiences and how they're marketed, and we want all of these things. Like, we want the sexual ecstasy, and we want the warmth and the love, and we want the physical beauty, and we want no gray hair or hair at all, like just anything. We want terrific food. We want to see all the sites. We want all of this. And as a result of not getting all the things that we're told that we must have, we start to get depressed. We see people on Facebook write all these posts. It's like, they have so much fun, and I'm not involved in that. Not realizing that people put their happiest moments on Facebook and not like their downers. It's like, hey, look how great this is. You know, the most of their life is lived just like yours, just a bummer, right? That, that's how most of it is, but you only see what you see on Facebook. And so we keep thinking, I don't want to miss out. And it's not something new. This has been around for ages. I, I want to show you this commercial. It's from the 70s, and I just want to show you how they even marketed it back then. So here, here's this commercial. You'll love this. high and wild, to someplace you've never been. Carving a path out of the earth. White water, alive, free, and you can never tame it. But for the chance to ride the rolling thunder and feel the power of freedom, you go for it. Making the most of now. From the life you live to the beer you drink. And since 1849, the beer that makes the most out of life is Schlitz. That's why every day, millions of times a day, America reaches for a Schlitz. When you're making a beer, make it this one beer. Schlitz makes it great. Go for it. Go for it. You want the white water of your life. Get the schlitz. You gotta say schlitz correctly. You might get the wrong. Anyway, but get the I was asking, do they even sell that? And someone said, yeah, they still sell it. I'm like, well, it just, I must just never see it. I must be oblivious to the horribleness that that would have been. But anyway, like, like the resurrection looks at a commercial like that and says, that is totally ridiculous. It is completely ridiculous. Easter says, if you are united with Jesus, you miss out on nothing. You can relax, you can sacrifice, you can give your money away, you can give yourself away, you can give of your time. People can't impose on you and it's okay because you're not going to miss out on anything by following in the steps of the one who gave his life for you. In the steps of the one who let himself be imposed upon and gave himself for us, you can sit back and relax. You don't have to work 100 hours a week. Why? Because you're not going to miss out on anything. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, says this, The faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the worlds are what we now call physical pleasures. And he talks about how the Father and the Spirit and the Son all come together and they, and they make this creation with great delight and joy and that infuses the creation. In Proverbs 8, 22-31, it speaks of wisdom standing beside God as he makes everything, that God takes delight in all of these things. So C.S. Lewis says, when you eat something that's so good, when you embrace someone who is so wonderful, when you hear some music that is unbelievably sublime, the physical energies we call physical pleasures are just the faint far off results, of the incredible rapture God put into the created world when he made it. And then he goes on and says, and even thus filtered, meaning through our sin and our fallenness and all the garbage that we have brought into the world, even thus filtered, they are too much for our present management. What would it be like to taste the fountainhead, that, fountainhead, that stream of which even the These lower reaches prove so intoxicating, yet that, I believe, is what lies before us. What he's saying is all these advertisements of like the greatest sex, there's nothing like the incredible closure we're going to have in the person of Christ when all things come to culmination. He says the best wine at the best restaurant with the best food is nothing compared to the wedding feast of the Lamb. He says when you see dancers dance and you're like, I can never dance like that because I'm I'm so clumsy. He says even the dancers aren't able to dance what it's going to be like. Because by the time dancers today are 40, their ankles are shot because they've been... Gravity for, for so long. And the Bible says when Jesus rules and reigns, Psalm ninety six, even the trees are gonna dance. I know what a tree dances like. It dances like me. <laughs> right? You too? No, it's a is it a slow song? No, it's the best song. The, the beauty of God's good news for the world is that we're gonna miss out on nothing. You don't have to worry about the photos you forgot to take on your last trip. It's it, God says in what He's going to go and bring about. It's it's nothing compared to what He's going to do. We will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. You don't look back on anything and say, Oh, I, when I I wish I was younger, I experienced this better. Oh, when I was more beautiful. Kent, Tim Keller says you're nothing compared to what you're going to be like. Compared to what you're going to be in the future, you're a vegetable. No fears, no regrets, no problems with sacrifice. Why? Because the physical future that we are going to have, it starts today, now, and goes on into eternity. It has been promised by a God who has promised Jesus and salvation and redemption for millennia, and He has brought it to pass. He will bring this to pass as well. So, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. If you're here last week, that's like deja vu. It's like, weren't we there last week? Yes, we were. Uh, Luke will give you three different resurrection accounts in his gospel. Now, Luke also writes the book of Acts, so you know that he knows that Jesus was around for 40 days after the resurrection. And these are the three that he chose to put in his gospel, so they are pretty important. So, I'm just going to give you one because I covered the other ones last week. Uh, Luke 24, starting in verse 13. This is what it says. It says, That very day two of them, these are disciples and followers of Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I like to call this Ninja Jesus because he's like, Whoa. Just kind of shows up. Okay. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Some translations will say their faces were downcast. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Not like Jesus doesn't know, right? I was the one who was killed. I got it, right? What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people The passage starts, right? They're downcast. They're sad. Their faces are down. Their hopes and dreams for Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of what they thought God was supposed to do, all of those were dashed. Their hopes were gone. Why? Because they misinterpreted what Jesus was there to actually do. The Jews believed the Messiah would show up. He would raise an army. He would run all the Romans out of Israel, and they'd be set up as a world superpower, and everybody would come and bow down to them. But from the very beginning, when you read the scriptures, God's purpose for Israel was for them to be a blessing to other nations. They heard, God says, you're my chosen people, I will bless you. They hear, oh yeah, I'm great. Everybody's supposed to come down and bow down to me because we're God's chosen people. God chose them and blessed them so they would in turn be a blessing. That's why they were blessed. And they lost all of that. They lost what God was actually going to do. Jesus comes up alongside them. This is like a breath of fresh air to me. I think I think Jesus is like, died, rose from the grave, and he's like, hey guys, what are you talking about? I I just see it as really kind of a relaxing, kind of beautiful thing for Jesus. They don't recognize him as they walk. What are you discussing? I love it. Like, he doesn't know. He totally knows. That's why Luke put it there. And so they say, and they stood still looking sad. Their faces are downcast in this. And it shows you the despair they were in. They had regrets. They, their hopes that they think they're missing out on. They had the bucket list of what Jesus was supposed to do, and He didn't do it. What they're doing is they're looking at life without resurrection. They're looking at Jesus' ministry, and as far as they can tell that if death is the end, because death was the end of Jesus, well, it's going to be the end of them too. And this is what happens when you start to think that this life is all there is. got to go for the Schlitz. I mean, and if that was like the only beer in the world, I could see why people would be very downcast and sad, right? But anybody who looks and thinks and discusses life without a resurrection should be completely depressed. Anybody who looks at this life and thinks, this is all that there is, there's no eternity, you should be downcast. People who are antagonistically opposed to God, I get why they're angry, because if this life is all you got, You shouldn't be happy about it. But for believers in Jesus, those who trust God's good news, the resurrection isn't a shot in the dark. It's reality. There is so much evidence for who Jesus was and is. These guys say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And the stranger again, who's actually Jesus says, what are you talking about? Like, Come on, tell me. I just, I love it. You know, what are they talking? They're talking about the death, the resurrection, the miracles, the things that he did. The people who are talking about, they saw Jesus around. They're talking about resurrection, but they don't actually believe it. They don't actually believe the good news. They said, well, you must not be from around here if you haven't heard about these things. And it tells you that anyone, anywhere around Jerusalem, everybody knew these things. The evidence is irrefutable. It's it's more than just common knowledge. It's that people understood what was actually taking place. It's like you've got the miracles and there's an empty tomb. Even the enemies of Jesus, they don't, they don't say, oh well, his body was still there. They gotta think of excuses of why it's not there anymore. Keep, keep your place in Luke 24, but flip over to Acts chapter 26. In Acts 26, this is 25 years later after the resurrection. The Apostle Paul is defending Christianity to two people, a guy named Festus and a guy named Agrippa. Festus is a pagan pagan man. He's a ruler, a Gentile ruler, and Agrippa is a Jewish king. And so Paul starts talking about these things. There's a man named Jesus. He claimed to be God. He went everywhere doing good, did public miracles, raised people from the dead, walked on the water, fed 5,000. And when you crucified him, he was raised from the grave. What does Festus say? Acts 26, verse 24... And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning, that's the word for education because Paul was a very educated man, is driving you out of your mind. What does Paul do? Does he defend his education? Not at all. What Paul does, he turns to Agrippa, who is a Jew. Again, Festus was a Gentile. Agrippa was a Jew. And he turns to Agrippa. It's been 25 years since the resurrection. And this is what he says, Acts 26, verse 25. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, that's Agrippa, knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. This is an incredible thing that 25 years later Paul can look at Agrippa who lived around Jerusalem and say you know these things are true you know about the empty tomb you know about the witnesses and the signs you know about the miracles you can't deny them and what does Agrippa do he doesn't deny it he's like huh, are you trying to make me a believer too Paul In so short a time <laughs> that's what he does because he can't deny it I mean, today people will say, well, who knows if there's a God? Who knows if Jesus rose from the dead? Who knows if the tomb was empty? Back then, the enemies couldn't deny it. It was obvious to everybody because they knew about it. And so they say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem in these days because you don't know this stuff? Tim Keller talks about how it's almost more of a leap of faith to not believe in God and resurrection and what Jesus did. Because a lot of people today say, you know, when you die, that that's it. And yet they will then tell you, but you really have to look and offer dignity, value, and worth to all these people. And really, why? Why? If if before you were born, you don't exist, there is nothing there, and after you die, you don't exist and there's nothing there, that means your life is completely insignificant. It is. And so why in the world would you ever try and give dignity and worth to anybody else? Because your life then is all about you. And you should be sad and downcast and totally depressed. Tim Keller says this, If it's true there is no eternity and no resurrection, if everything is insignificant, racism and oppression are just mental constructs your mind is imposing on a senseless and meaningless and random reality and you have no right to talk about anything. It is really a leap in the dark, a a leap of faith to be irreligious, to deny God and have any hope. Because you cannot feel like your life has significance if you do not actually believe in eternity. But what we believe is what the gospel writers speak about. He is risen indeed, and then that changes everything. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only reason to be downcast is when you look at life without resurrection. Anybody who looks at life that way is going to be downcast and angry. But I also think, and this is a more specific reason why they're sad and downcast, and that's that Jesus was right there walking with them, and they didn't even recognize him. They don't recognize him because in some ways Jesus is different, he's changed. Didn't see that coming. But it also says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And that's kind of a sort of a little bit of spiritual blindness. I think for us, many times in our life, Jesus is walking right with us. And we fail to recognize him. You might even be saying, where is God? Look at the mess that's my life. You would be just like the disciples walking on the road. Our lives make no sense now. We thought Jesus was the Messiah, and he died. God's not good for his promises. They're walking around, and where is Jesus? Walking with them, exactly with them. Keller actually talked about this, and he said that he thinks they failed to recognize Jesus because he was so extraordinarily ordinary. That, yes, he rose from the grave, and yes, he's amazing, but but what does he do? He just shows up in the ordinary of their lives on, on a walk from one place to another and just starts talking with them and starts interacting with them in their lives. We expect Jesus to raise from the grave and be like, Hello! Boom! I'm Jesus! That's what we expect because we like the fireworks. We like all the the show and bang and pow and splendor. But Jesus just shows up exactly where they are and starts to walk with them. We are always trying to make our future about our greatness and how wonderful and great. And I think it is going to be great, but I also think it's going to be ordinary. Maybe extraordinary, but, but ordinary in a way. And we do this all the time, even with people's testimonies about coming to believe in Jesus. We love the ones that are like, oh, I remember when I stabbed my dog and choked my grandma and made the meth and went to jail and raked the guard's face across the bars and then I met Jesus and my whole life changed. We're like, oh, let's get that guy up and talk about Jesus because we like, it's, those are the crazy testimonies. I, I got this girl who was in a youth group when I was a youth pastor and this was her testimony. I grew up loving Jesus and then I loved him some more And today, I just love him even more. Guys, that's a testimony. And it's an ordinary one. You don't have to stab a dog or choke your grandma. It's It's Jesus in the ordinary average every day. Right now in your life, you may be going through something that is just pure hell. But that could also be Jesus moving you and drawing you and pulling you to him in the ordinary every day. So back to Luke 24, verse 25. I'm going to round this out. So he said to them, that's Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And I love that Jesus is the one who takes the bread and he breaks it and gives it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, Jesus was in their life. And they didn't even realize it and notice it. They finally get to this semi-conscious stage. Their hearts are burning. And it's not until they actually invite him in for dinner that their eyes become open. And I think part of this is that they did not realize how deeply they really needed to be redeemed. See, when Jesus handed to be crucified, they say this. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. When we look back now, we know that the way that Jesus did redeem Israel was the crucifixion and the resurrection. But they are saying, we thought he was going to redeem, but he was crucified instead. Do you see the difference in that? They misunderstood what redemption actually was. They thought that redemption was this physical thing that, where God comes in, he destroys the Romans, sets them free from their political slavery. That's the only thing they thought they needed to be released from. They thought salvation was from the Romans. They thought that Jesus was going to be like their King David. They thought Jesus even called himself the Son of David. They thought if we could just have all this life was meant to offer, if we could have our bucket list of what God's supposed to do, we'll get redemption. And they're just like us. When we think if people would vote the way that we do and get rid of the laws we don't like and put in laws that we do like, if... The world acted like I was king. Well, then I would have what it's meant to be right here and now. And that's not the gospel. That is death. That is death. Because we always lead this world and ourselves astray and we focus on ourselves. But most of us come to Jesus kind of that way. We start out like these guys. We think what we need is a change in our circumstance. And maybe sometimes that's the original reason why like some people even start to go to church. Maybe your home life is falling apart or your job or relationship with someone around you. And you come to Jesus and you're like, Jesus, help get me through this. Most people come to Jesus as a sufferer wanting help, not as a sinner who needs salvation. But Jesus is the one who begins to move our hearts to understand our real need. But we all almost start with this, if I had a change in my circumstances, that's where my slavery is. And Jesus moves us to a place where I understand, no, that's not where your slavery is. Your slavery is that your heart is hard and cold and distant. And you have sinned and you have run away from God and you have broken relationship with him. And I have come to rip the calluses off your heart and bring you back into relationship again because I love you. That's what the gospel is. Until we get to a place where Jesus is more important to us than our fear of losing certain things, we're always going to be enslaved. The gospel is understanding that we are lost in sin, and we need redemption from not not circumstances, but from our own hearts. This is what we want Jesus to do in our lives. These guys on the road, they make this, this mistake. They didn't see the crucifixion as Jesus redeeming them. They saw the crucifixion as God's failure. But when we begin to understand that the crucifixion, the resurrection, is about Jesus' death to rescue and save and bring us back in, we understand that he also calls us to die to ourselves. I think until we understand the depths of our slavery to ourselves, we're never going to understand his great redemption of us. We will say things like, he was crucified, but we thought he would redeem. We will think that he's failing when he's actually moving us to a place where our hearts become fully his. The scriptures really teach that our freedom and power are almost proportional to how willing we are to admit and understand what we need redemption from. I think the more that we understand redemption, it changes how we begin to live out in the world. Our understanding of the gospel changes how we interact with others because we understand what God did. It will make us love others more. It will teach us to be more forgiving of others. It is going to be directly proportional to what we see as our great salvation that is given to us. This is why it's so important to understand what God has first done for us. Let me give you your gospel statement for this week, and then I'll try and bring this together. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died and rose from death for our redemption, and he promises a future hope in him where there is nothing we'll miss in this life that does not find its fulfillment in him because we will have all eternity to experience him. Let me read that one more time. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died and rose from death for our redemption. And he promises a future hope in him where there is nothing we will miss in this life that does not find its fulfillment in him. Because we have all eternity to experience him. These guys are discouraged on the road because they're looking at life without resurrection. They're discouraged because they don't see Jesus in the ordinary. They don't see him just working in their lives exactly where they are. They are discouraged. They don't really think they need a redeemer. What they think they need is a helper for their problems or a manager to kind of get them through their issues. I think the reason the appearance is here in Luke is it's something that we can all live in right now, the reality of Jesus in the ordinary every day of our lives. I think Jesus will come and he will pull the Schlitz blinders off your eyeballs and, and he will enable you to see who he is. We have eyes to see what he did, what the gospel really means. This is why it says when Jesus explained the the scriptures to them, it says, but he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And if you read the scriptures and you don't see Jesus in what you're reading, you're missing the point of the scriptures. Because it's all about him and what he was coming to do. The gospel, the good news is all about Jesus, his redemption of us. We have a hope of a resurrection. We have a hope that when we die to ourselves, we live in him. We have hope because Jesus died and rose. We get to become a brand new people living in the ongoing promises of God and the ongoing promise of resurrection. God rescues us. I love how the scriptures consistently talk about this. And we're going to talk about this in the Proverbs series, actually, too. But it talks about how our hearts are calloused. And that as we go through life and the way that life hits us, and not, we, our, our hearts become more and more callous. Have you ever worked in a yard or done some manual labor? You start to develop these calluses. And then if you work really hard at some point, those calluses sometimes will rip off your fingers. That ever happen? How's it feel? Hurts, right? Yeah. And then when that callus gets ripped off, you can go... Sometimes even blowing on it hurts a little bit because it's like, yeah, I'm a baby. i got a very low pain threshold, right? Ah, right. But what God does... In the good news of the gospel, when we understand the true redemption of what he's done, it rips those calluses off of our hearts. And God comes and he speaks. It's almost like he just blows softly across our hearts. And we're like, and we feel him. We begin to live in him because of the goodness of what he has done. God wants to pull those calluses off of our hearts. And that happens as we better understand the good news of what he did. I mean, really, I think redemption in the end is how God pulls those calluses off of our hearts so we can really live and breathe and feel again and not live in the midst of our hardness, but live in the midst of His grace because we begin to understand that all of our sadness, all of our downcastness, all of our shame was taken by Jesus upon the cross. And then He rises from the grave to bring us to new life because He is simply that good. That's why we come to communion every single week. It's a reminder of what Jesus did and also what he continues to do. That's why we do it in remembrance of what he did. That's why you break a cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me as a people so that we could live out the good news of the resurrection in our life every single day. That eternal life is meant to begin now and go on into eternity. The band's going to come up. As they do, you're welcome to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back if you need prayer. Like maybe if you're in a place today and and you have been praying just for salvation from a circumstance in your life and not really coming to a place where you understand that we need salvation from ourselves, from our own broken heart, from our own broken way of life. And you'd like someone to pray with you about that. They'd love to pray with you about that. Because again, too often, we we only move... Uh, salvation to the understanding like these guys on the road. Well, we thought this is what Jesus was supposed to do. No, Jesus is going to come and he's going to redeem us by changing our hearts and that eventually hopefully will change our circumstance but it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes it takes a really long time to get there because he is moving and changing us here so that begins to be lived out there. And so we trust him in the circumstance we are because we want him to change us Inside to bring us back to life so that we'd begin to live eternal life now that goes on into eternity. And if you need prayer, they would love to pray with you about that. There's offering boxes next to all the doors. We give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. So you have that opportunity every single week. Uh, there's food outside. They have some snickerdoodles that I saw. And if you grab something to eat, grab some sermon notes and maybe get together with somebody this week and talk about some of these things. Like maybe talk about the places in your life where you pray that God would change a circumstance so your heart wouldn't have to change. Because many times we don't really want our hearts to change. We want the circumstance to change so that we don't actually have to change internally. And Jesus comes and he says, no, I came to rescue and redeem not your circumstance, but you. And so he takes us and changes us and makes us new. Just like he promises to do to the entire world that I will renew, I'll make a new heavens and a new earth, a redeemed heavens and earth. He will redeem us and make us new again for the purpose of being a people who get to live in the gospel, to go and be his hands and feet to the word where we live on mission because he is good. Our God is greater and more good than we can ever imagine. And I think if we trust him a little bit more than ourselves, (laughs) we'd be able to start living in this life of, of living and understanding the gospel and the good news of what he brings. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us and remind us of your good news. That... Many times we are a people just like the guys on the road to Emmaus who keep thinking that we need salvation from our circumstance and not understanding that it is our hearts and our lives that have put us into that circumstance over and over and over. And so today I ask that you would take the Schlitz blinders off of our lives and we be able to see what you are truly calling us into. That we would live in a way that honors you by what we do. Not because it makes you love us more. Not because we're trying to work something off. But because we realize how great your love and salvation is for us. Father, for those people in this room who have been seeking you in their lives because they want to change a circumstance, I ask that you would speak directly into their hearts. And that you would Bring them to Yourself. And that they would be renewed so they could come to new life and get to live out the reality of the Gospel. Father, for those of us who do love You, I ask that You would daily scrape the calluses off of our hearts so that we could hear You in every circumstance that we are in. That we would understand that You have placed within us a new heart that you have taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh and that you would teach us to live out a childlike faith in you as our great God who has rescued us that we would understand the reality of resurrection that in the ordinariness of our lives you are walking with us and that we then would trust you for all things because you are good. Have us lay aside all the busyness and worries of our days and our lives and begin to rest and trust in your good news spoken over us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.